Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to look at chapter 1, but I want to read chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. And we sung the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. A guy by the name of Thomas, excuse me, Crisholm from Franklin, Tennessee, wrote this song. He was always sick. He was always poor. But he wrote about the greatness of God's faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. If you stand when you find that, now later you can look down to verse 30, and there's a great prophetic verse there where it says, He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. That's not our text today. We're reading verse 22, then we'll go back to chapter 1 after we're seated. It says here, It is of the Lord's, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. That we will learn something today helpful for our lives that will not be hearers only but be doers that will be motivated to serve you to live for you and to appreciate all you've done for us. Bless us now, Lord. We need you so much this hour. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a great hymn written on the theme of faithfulness, and God is so faithful. We've been doing this little mini-series. It's just been three weeks, but we read from and studied from Ezekiel. And no doubt he saw the fulfillment of the destruction of Jerusalem in 586. And then we're, we studied last week from Jeremiah, who talked about the destruction coming, and he would live to see it come as well. And then Jeremiah writes this portion called Lamentations. Actually, in the original, this was part of the book of Jeremiah. And he writes these five chapters as he laments, as he weeps. He's broken because he has seen his beloved city destroyed. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, I'm going to read you a verse real quick. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says passionately, He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. He says, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. And of course, we're looking at the destruction of 586, but Jesus now, in his day, was looking to another destruction in A.D. 70, when Rome would come in again and destroy the temple. After 586, remember, Cyrus allowed the Jews to return and to rebuild, and you can read Nehemiah and Ezra, great books on that. And so Jesus now, long after that, is saying it's going to happen again. And I've begged you. I wanted to be a mother hen to you and pull you under my wings, but you would not. You would not. Now, the great thing about God is His faithfulness is still intact. His compassions never fail. And one day a remnant of Jews will be saved. 144,000 plus wives and children in the tribulation period. But God has been pleading with Israel. Now, back in 586, it was sin. In A.D. 70, it was sin again, but along with the rejection of God's man. 
Stephen had been stoned. John the Baptist decapitated. Jesus is going to be put on the cross. They don't want Jesus. They want sin. And that's the problem in today's world. People don't want the Lord. They want sin. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep. And here Jeremiah, an eyewitness, is lamenting. Tradition tells us he wept outside of Golgotha, where Jesus had died. Now, Titus actually erected a sculpture of a, an arch representing a woman bent over and a weeping woman after he defeated the Jews in Israel and destroyed everything. Widows in the Old Testament are a type of helplessness. And we know Judah and Jerusalem is now like a widow. Remember, God described Israel, the 12 tribes, and then the division of Israel into 10 and 2, the Judah and Israel, as his bride. Of course, they ended up cheating on God and loving idols, and the Bible says he divorced them. He put them away, and the word divorce is actually used in your Bible, and did, did away with them because of their sin. And so here they are, a nation without God, and the result is destruction. The, their beloved temple, gone. Today they have a wailing wall in Jerusalem. I've been there. It's 200 feet high. It's been there for thousands of years. And if you go there, you'll see the Jews put prayers up in the cracks of the wall. And they'll put their hands on the wall and cry and pray because they want their temple back. And the temple will be rebuilt by mid-tribulation, but then defiled as they'll offer pigs in the temple. And once again, it'll be destroyed. Finally, there'll be a temple in uh, the, 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 the millennium. We know that. We've talked about that. We're not going back there. But here, Israel now, actually Judah specifically, is, is a mourning widow. Helpless. Helpless. Do you know in our sinful state, we are helpless. Without Christ, you are helpless. We're also worthless in the world's eyes. The world hates Christians. They just soon get rid of all of us. <laughs> They'd like to shut preachers up. There's been legislation. They want to deal with hate speech in pulpits and stop preachers from talking about all this stuff that's going on. You get all these sex change operations and you can become something else. And I guess you can go beat up women and feel proud of yourself. I don't know. It's just so perverse. And that's hate speech, by the way, but that's what the Bible says. It's perverse. And, and so we, the world hates us, and, and in their eyes, we're worthless, and actually, in our sinful state, we're careless because we don't care that we're lost. We just want to pacify and satisfy our own sinful needs and our own lust, uh, consume things upon our own life, and, and, and yet God sees us as a pearl of great price. He sees us in our finished state. He, he's going to redeem us and save us and make us something because He's faithful. His compassions fail not. And he's going to save Israel one day. They were chosen as a nation. We are chosen individually. And I'm so thankful that God chose me. And I'm thankful that he led me to repentance. And that I could call on him and be saved. Because he convicted me about what rotten person I was. So here we have lamentations. It's one of five scrolls read publicly each year in the nation of Israel. It's read during July to remember the fall of 586 and the fall of A.D. 70. 
And we know there are four others. We know Esther's read during the Feast of Purim to remind them of their deliverance from the Persians or what we'd say Iran today. We think of uh, we think of Ruth being read at Pentecost and Ecclesiastes is the Feast of the Tabernacle and Song of Solomon's is read at the Passover. Now today we look at, Ecclesi- at Lamentations and then we're going to go in a moment to Psalm 119, but I want you to notice something. Look at chapter 1, the end of the chapter. This, we're going to teach you a little something, a little principle here. It's a little bit deep, but not bad. Not, not that ever, depth is ever bad. Depth is wonderful. But we notice here there are 22 verses in chapter 1. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse, verse 1, the lines begin with Aleph. That's the first Hebrew letter. Verse 2, the line begin, lines all begin with Beth, the second Hebrew letter. We call that acrostic. And only God could do this. Try to write something and do that through your English alphabet to make sense, to all fit together. We need the handiwork of God. So you see in chapter 1, there's 22 verses. How many letters in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. Chapter 2, how many verses? 22. Chapter 3, now don't answer me because you'd be wrong. There are 66 verses. You see there are five poems, each one with an equivalent of 22. 22 verses chapter 1, 22 verses chapter 2, each verse lines up, as I said, with the Hebrew alphabet. The first verse of each chapter, Aleph, Beth, Gamel, Dalit, and goes on and on. And then verse six, in verse 3, there's 66. It goes through the alphabet three times. You see it again in chapter 4. You see it again in chapter 5. It's the handiwork of God. During inspiration, God does stuff like that. There's One scholar tells us that in John 17, there's seven paragraphs and seven lines in each paragraph, and he goes through all this. Now, I don't have that Greek text in my library. I have several, but I don't find, I can't find it to line up exactly like that, but there's scholars that tell us that. Now, look at Psalm 119 because you will see this more clearly. Psalm 119. The 119th song, and you know this song, because there's 176 verses. And if you're a mathematician, you're already thinking, all right, 22, all right, 176 verses, that divides out to what? Eight verses times 22. 176. Now look at chapter 1, chapter 1, excuse me, verse 1. Chapter 119, verse 1. You see at the top, you have the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You see it says Aleph, doesn't it? All those first eight verses begin with that first letter, Aleph. And then the next set of eight verses, it's Baith. And it goes through the 22 book, 22 letters. We have 26 in English, don't we? 22 in Hebrew. So the 22 letters are broken down there for you. That's just a little something for you to remember. It, it just sort of amazes me to see the handiwork of God and His Word, you know, and, and that's something interesting. Now we go back to Lamentations. In Lamentations, we have a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28. In verse 3, we'll look later more specifically at these verses, but we find it says there'll be no rest for Israel. In verse 5, the enemies would prosper. The Jews would be slaves. In verse 6, they would run in fear. This is an awful time in the nation of Israel. We'll learn today why it happened. We already know the answer. And we'll learn today that there's hope in the future. But Jeremiah is weeping because Jerusalem has fallen. Remember, this is a city of David. This is a city of God. 
What a city. Sets on a hill, a beautiful city. If you ever get to go there, you'll say, this is an amazing city. It's an awesome spot. This is where God dwelt in the most holy place. And he, 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 he's, he's not there in that spot anymore. He's in the lives of those who trust Jesus. We're now the temple and the tabernacle. But Jews mourn about that. But one day he'll be back. And he'll set up his kingdom there. He'll actually teach from the temple. But think about that. The promise that his, his compassions fell out. But here's the city of God. The Bible calls it the city of God. I love America. I'm uh, not from this area originally. I came down here, to, I thought, to play basketball. And here I am, a preacher all these years later, and been on the mission field and all that. And, and been there, done that type stuff, you know, and thought, it's amazing how God changed my life. When I first arrived on campus, I was crutching up. I'd broken my leg, and I knew God was doing something because I was coming to play basketball, and I had a cast on my leg. And a guy said, you're going to be a preacher. And I said, I am not going to be a preacher. I'm here to play basketball. That was it. And uh, all these years later, I look back on that and I giggle because I have a passion to do what I'm doing. I, I love to preach God's Word. I love to study. Can't stand it if I can't study and preach. Miserable, you know? And, and, and But the, the thing of it is that the Word of God is so exciting to me to see it unravel and unfold. And I've gotten a little off the subject, but we know one day the new Jerusalem, again, will come down. The, the, the new city. This is a special city. But I'm not from here, but I love, I love to go down in Ringgold, and I love the old buildings, the old. Don't you like the old town? I don't like the big cities. I like the old towns, you know. I like to go into those old places and see those old buildings and think of the history there. And uh, I love America. I, I love our country. I love our military. 19 years I spent overseas ministering to the military. Love our military. All right. I mean, I, I, I used to be a little too over the top on loving the military. I'd get in someone's face if they said something about our military, you know. You gotta back up a little bit. I love them. I thank God for them. Love our policemen. Love all the servants. The Bible calls them servants of the Lord. But I love America. I don't quite understand the love they had for Israel. I mean, I understand their love for Israel. I don't quite love America that way. Let's say it that way. They love this holy city. They loved this place. They knew it was a place of God. God was there. And then all of a sudden, God's gone. And the Wailing Wall's still there. And the Jews still cry, still putting prayers in the cracks, saying, oh, Lord, come back. Send Elijah. Send Elijah. God said, well, I sent John the Baptist, who was your Elijah. You rejected him. But one day, Elijah will come back. And we know Jesus will come back. Well, let's look now. Briefly at an outline here, in verse 1, her population is small. What's happened? The Bible says, how doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? Now it's alone. How is it become as a widow? Remember the arch that Titus constructed. She that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces. How has she become tributary? What's happened? They're all slaves now. What's happened to her princesses, her, her beautiful women, the beautiful city? What's going on? It was full of people, and now there's not anyone here. What, what's going on, Jeremiah says? Well, he knew what had happened. But he said, how? How does this happen? 
I've told you, I believe America's days are numbered. After the rapture, forget it, America's gone. The only thing keeping America on the side of Israel is Christians. There's enough pull in our country to take care of Israel. But when you take the church out, all the preachers are gone. All the believers are gone. There'll still be liberal preachers here that aren't saved. And there'll, there'll be enough influence to cause us to go after Israel like everyone else to get their resources. I don't know if we'll harm Israel, but I know we won't be there in the end. The Bible says none will stand with her. Jesus has to fight for Israel. So America's days are numbered. We'll look at the judgment of nations later. But he says, how has this happened? He knew the answer. It's a rhetorical question. Because he had been preaching that it's going to happen because of the sin of the people. Then look at verse 2. Her position was simple. Notice verse 2. She weepeth sore. That means she's weeping bitterly. The nation's weeping. All the people who live in the nation are weeping crying uh, because what's uh, what's happened to Israel her population was simple her position is her population was small her position simple she was great amongst the nation but all her friends and lovers have left her she had alliances with the wrong kind of people and you can make all the agreements you want with the people of the world but in tough times they'll leave you as quick as can be the world doesn't care about us Never yoke up unequally. And they'd yoked. And now her friends and lovers are gone. And and they've dealt treacherously with her, meaning they were unfaithful, deceitful. Look at verse 3. Her persecution is severe. Judah has gone into captivity. They're all slaves. Carried away. Because of the affliction and because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her uh, between the straits. Here, here her persecution is just terrible. It's so bad that in chapter 4, verse 10, it tells us that women had to eat their own children. You think of that. Chapter 4, verse 10 of Lamentations. Can you imagine being so hungry that you're killing your kids and eating them? I, I can't even fathom that. How could that happen? I've wanted to kill my kids, but I've never been hungry for them. (laughs) But I mean to kill your kids and eat them? That was what was going on. Persecution is intense. The word servitude, the Hebrew word used 145 times, means slave labor. It's used as referring to bondage in Exodus chapter 1. Israel's all become slaves. God blessed individuals as slaves sometimes, blessed Daniel. My black friend says Shadrach, Meshach, and a blessed Negro. You know, Bendigo. God blessed some of them. Think of the little widows in the Old Testament that were slaves, name and servant, how God blessed them. But collectively, the nation was destroyed, leveled. The walls were gone. The temple is gone. The people are scattered, running in, in fear. And notice in verse 4, her priests were subdued. Verse 4, the ways of Zion do mourn. Zion is a word used to refer to the holy mount, the city of Jerusalem, the city of, or the hill of David, the city of David. And it's, it's referred to, to, to it's, it's used to refer to the spiritual leadership. Later, the entire city was called Zion. But here it says, the solemn feast, the solemn feast are, 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 are gone. Verse, verse four. Um, it says, 
Her, her virgins are afflicted. She's in bitterness. Her solemn feast in verse 4, they came to an end. The word solemn feast over in verse 15 is, is a word translated assembly in verse 15. So no more meetings, no more gatherings, no more spiritual emphasis. They couldn't celebrate their feasts, which were so important. We don't have holidays like theirs. We have great holidays. I love Thanksgiving, the family get together. I love Christmas. Everybody loves Christmas. If you don't love Christmas, there's something wrong with you. There are psychiatrists in the telephone book to go. I'm just kidding. But, you know, take away all of our holidays. We'd be discouraged. But their holidays were all connected to spiritual matters. So when you take the Jewish feasts and festivals away, you talk about discouragement. You know, you, you, they, they couldn't go to church and operate like we do, but they couldn't do anything spiritual. Their spiritual leadership was gone. The solemn feasts were over. Then her posterity, meaning her descendants, were slaves. Verse 5. Her adversaries are the chief. What does that mean? Well, they had new chiefs. Here's the old expression, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. All of a sudden, their adversaries, their enemies, are over them, ordering them around. And you don't want to work for your enemies. Could you imagine if Iran took over Israel? It's not going to happen, by the way. When Israel returned to the land, the Bible said they're there to stay. They'll be attacked. God's going to protect them. And when no other nations step in, guess who steps in? Jesus. And by the word of his power, he speaks and the enemies are defeated. But just think if, if the Jews had to be servants of the Persians, how they would treat them. How do you think how the Iranians would treat the Jews? Every day they spew out venom about wanting to destroy Israel. Well, that's what they're going through here. The Babylonians, the Iraqis, are now in control. And they're, they're slaves, they're servants. Look at it says, her young women are afflicted. You know what's happening to the young women. It doesn't say here, but we can read between the lines. And history will tell us they were raped and ravaged and mistreated. I'd like to be a little Jewish girl when the Babylonians took over. I, I, I watch history, the History Channel sometimes, and I see when Germany was defeated. And of course, the Americans aren't innocent, but they said the Russians came in and took all those German women and just raped them and just, just did terrible things to them. And some people probably say, they, well, they deserved it. Nobody deserves that. We deserve hell, but we don't deserve in this life to be treated like that. But we know that they were treated terribly. What do you think was happening to the Jewish women by the Iraqi men? We can, we can, we can read enough between the lines. And so here, and for three weeks, we've talked about how judgment's coming. But we have to notice here in verse 5, her adversaries are chief, her enemies prosper. But notice this next little word, for. And you'll see it twice. For the Lord hath afflicted her, for the multitude of her transgressions. The word for, you know the Hebrew word can be translated because. Why did it happen? Because the Lord afflicted her. You mean God is judging Israel? Absolutely. Absolutely. God hates sin. Get that down. If you leave with one thing today, God hates sin. He will not tolerate it. I'm so thankful that my sins have already been judged on Calvary. I don't have to pay for them. Thank God for that. God hates sin. But you know what God does with his children? 
Our sins are taken care of. But guess what? He chastens us. Whom the Lord loveth, He chastens. Read Hebrews chapter 12. You have not resisted it against sin strive. You have not resisted to the point of giving your blood striving against sin. It goes on to describe the sinful disobedience of God's children. And God chastens you. And it says this chastening is not easy. It's grievous. It's grievous. When God deals with his children, it's difficult. We are chastened in this life now. David said in Psalm 73, I didn't understand when I looked around and saw the wicked prosper. They curse God. There's no pain in their death. They just go on and live an evil, evil life and nothing happens to them. He said, but I went in the house of God and then I realized their end. Their end is hell. They don't pay now like we do. Why? We're God's children. And when we sin, God turns us over his knee and man, it hurts. Been there and done that. Don't want to get it again. I got to live right. So we can be chastened as God's children. But when you're lost, it's hopeless because you're going to be judged for your sin. Israel was lost and, 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 and terrible, terrible things were happening. Back in verse 4, it says that, it talks about her gates because the, uh, her gates are desolate. You know what that means, the gates are desolate? The gates were a place where decisions were made. Remember when Boaz wanted to redeem Ruth, where'd he go? He went to the gates. Remember Lot was, God was angry with Lot because he was a leader in the city, couldn't influence anyone. He just influenced his own family, but he didn't. He sat in the city gates. Gates, that's where all the decisions, all the leadership. So we used to hear expression when I was young, everything rises and falls on leadership. That's a true statement. I mean, Israel's leaders were part of the problem. Their spiritual leaders weren't any good. Their secular leaders weren't any good. When you have 19 kings in the nation of Israel and all 19 are evil. I mean, from the dividing of the kingdom, 19 straight evil kings, and you only have eight good kings out of 20 in Judah in all those years, thousands of years, hundreds of years, I should say, and you don't have anything good. That's bad. I mean, we've had a couple presidents that profess to know Christ. But think of that. That was the nation of Israel. Their leadership was bad. Not only their spiritual leadership, verse 6, their secular leadership. The Bible says, and from the daughter of Zion, all her beauties departed. Her princes have become like hearts. The leaders, the secular leaders are running like deer. They're just fleeing the city because they're afraid. The word prince here comes from a Hebrew word. It's translated about eight ways in your Old Testament. It's translated captain, ruler, governor, steward, master. Their leaders, their secular leaders were gone. Their spiritual leaders were insignificant. Chapter 4 talks about the greatness of God because he concludes in chapter 3, talks about his faithfulness. Then it talks about his greatness. But look at chapter 3 for just a moment. Chapter 3. We find in chapter 3, uh, it's interesting God's mentioned 21 times using personal pronouns. Verse 2, he hath led me. Verse 5, he hath built it against me. Verse 6, he hath set me in dark places. He hath hedged me about. Verse 7, he's talking about God's judgment. The next chapter talks about God's greatness. God will have compassion. He will be faithful and restore Israel. But right now we're talking about God's judgment. We've been talking about it for two weeks. It's the third week. But there's hope. In our opening verses we read, his compassions foul not. 
His faithfulness is great. And they're new every morning. I, I love mornings. I know if you've had a bad night and you wake up in the morning, it seems like everything's better. You have a new day. You can begin with the Lord and spend time with Him and all the days wonderful as long as you're walking with the Lord. And you have to go out in the world, but the Lord's with you. He never leaves you nor forsake you. He's faithful. His compassion's found not. I'm an idiot sometimes, and so are you, by the way. I use myself, but you are too. And yet he's compassionate and faithful to me. Do I deserve it? No. That's the thing about his compassions. They fail not. They're renewed every morning. His faithfulness is great, and I'm not. I'm not. But he is. And, and I, I love, then, of course, verse 22 and 23. Mark that. Look at that later. But let's look for a moment. We're going to go to Joel, and we're going to go to Matthew. Now, in Joel chapter 3 and verse 2, Lamentations, and we have Hosea, or Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. So four books over, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and Joel. Go to Joel chapter 3 and verse 2. And I'll be done. This is sort of my Memorial Day series because I'll be gone a couple Sunday mornings. One to do a wedding and one on the reservation. So we won't be able to do this. But I want to look at Joel chapter 3 and verse 2. And a lot of people say, you mean God does judge nations? Yes, keep your finger there in Joel 3.2. And I'm going to read you a verse from Matthew, but stay there in Joel. I want you to stay there for a moment. But in Matthew uh, chapter 23, I like what, or 25, I like what he says in Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, um, verses 31 and 32. I'm going to Joel. Hold on just a minute. It says here in 31 and 32. Matthew 25, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one for another as a shepherd divideth the sheep from his goats. What is that? It's a judgment of nations. Look at Joel now. I want you to see this. Joel chapter 3, verse 2, And I will gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people, for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. This whole chapter is about judging nations. God doesn't want anybody to harm Israel, but sometimes he has to allow it to get Israel to their knees. But all those nations will be judged. Two great battles coming. We know one in the end of tribulation, one in the millennial kingdom at the end when Satan's released, and what will he do? He'll go out and deceive all the nations. And then what happens? They all come after Israel. Israel doesn't have a chance. But the Lord takes care of it. Just in the tribulation period, that great battle again, same thing. He's going to deal with nations and judge them. I don't fear China. I don't fear Russia. I fear God. <laughs> I want to live right because I fear Him. And because He's faithful to me. His faithfulness, His compassions fail not. Look at Revelation chapter 20. We've said before, we've said it two weeks in a row, Daniel says, He ruleth in the kingdoms of men. So He's in control. He's sovereign. He's in control. But in Revelation chapter 20, we know he chastens his children. He judges nations, and he also judges individuals. Do you know my sin will never be judged? It's already been judged. It'll never be judged again. 
it will never be judged again. It's been judged on Calvary. You know what, what I'm going to have to do, though? The beam of seed, I'm going to have to stand before the Lord, and my works are going to be evaluated and judged. And if they weren't done with the right motive, they'll be burned up, gone. That's going to be a time, maybe it'll be difficult for us. I'm sure it will, the beam of seed of Christ. But there's another judgment called the great white throne. Look at chapter 20 of Revelation. We don't have time to spend much time here, but verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, whose face... The earth and the heaven fled away, and there's found no place for them. I mean, everybody's fearful. Here he is on the throne. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell to live. So hell is emptied. Hell's not the final resting place. The lake of fire is. Hell is raised here. All the sinners of all time are raised to stand before the Lord. And be judged. If you're not saved, you'll be there. We're there as witnesses. And afterwards, he talks about wiping the tears from her eyes. I think it's going to be hard for us to observe this. But here is what's called the great white throne judgment. Other places tell us every knee shall bow. Everyone's going to say, you are Lord, you are Lord. Please receive me in your kingdom. Receive me, please take me. I don't know you. I never knew you. He's going to cast them into hell forever. And we're going to be broken about all that because we will know people. God has to wipe tears from our eyes. Look, look what it says here. And, the, and the, the sea gave up the dead, verse 13. In verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. Whosoever is not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Think about that. I'd hate to go in hell. There's an old preacher years and years ago who preached a sermon, what's going on in hell? And I mean, he does such a good job. It's a scary message. He talks about Hitler being down there, how you're running from Hitler. You know, all the rapists and all the pedophiles and all the weirdos down there and all the murderous, and they're all down there and they're all just as mean and meaner there. They're suffering, but you're suffering because you're not only suffering in hell, but you're suffering around all these kind of people. But do you know that every skeptic and every atheist, atheist and every agnostic and every scoffer, those that laugh at us, will all be on their knees at this judgment? Scary. I'm glad I'm saved. But I have to have compassion for those that aren't saved. Jude says, those having compassion make the difference. Yes, America's days are not good after the rapture of the church. We know that. But thank God now, as an American, we still have hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah. How do we change the scenario, Pastor? We become witnesses for the Lord. When people come to know Jesus, they will grow and become like him. Don't worry about all the political bickering. Get that out of your mind. Tell people about Jesus. That's where hope comes in. His compassions fail not. He's faithful. If we bring people to Jesus Christ, they'll change. When we change lives, it changes our country. Our country can still have revival if we are, if we are making disciples. While we know our country's got some bad days ahead, we're still here, and we're difference makers. Three, 
22, and we'll close reminding you of our hymn today. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. You know why we're here today and not dead? Because of His mercies. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. And then this great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. God is faithful. And He's going to keep His word. He's going to take care of us till He raptures us. Or until we face death. But we don't go through that alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow, I'll fear no more, for thou art, and I go so fast, thou art with me. Is he with you today? He'll never leave you. He's faithful. But if you're not a believer, it's time to be saved. And if you're a believer, it's time for you to start witnessing. You're only on this earth to please God. You're not on it to get a pension, to build a house. You're here to please the Lord. That's why He leaves us here to go and do what He said to do. As He went out seeking and saving, we're supposed to do that. That's how we save America. By winning people, telling people about Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank You. Help us to be good Bibles, Lord, as we're not written on tables of stone with ink, but we're written with the Holy Spirit in our heart. Help us to be a good Bible everywhere we go. Help us to speak for you and to have compassion for the lost. Lord, help us if we're in sin to confess it or, or be chastened. We don't want to be chastened, Lord. We're sorry when we sin. We should tell you. I pray today that you'll bless Speak to hearts. And as we go into the New Testament next week, to remember the things that we've learned these last three weeks about how you will judge and how every knee will bow. Lord, help us to bow now. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand and sing.